1: about that time in the Ty Boyd studio to start the week. Former White House chief of staff, budget director, South Carolina congressman, special envoy, envoy to Northern Ireland, Mick Mulvaney. Paul Schaefer playing piano on that, on that musical selection.
2: Right here. Yeah.
3: Also known as Artie Fufkin.
2: Artie Fufkin. He was the musical director for the Blues Brothers. Which, of All course,
1: started as a Saturday Night Live exactly skit. That's right. That's right. Did you see that Paul Schaefer and the world's most dangerous band played as a as the guest band on uh, Jimmy Fallon recently? I did
2: not. I would have actually stayed up to watch. No, I wouldn't have. I would have watched that on the Internet afterwards. Well, I was about to say, you could check
1: it out on the worldwide interweb. I'm sure it's uh, available. Well, now I know it's there. I will there go, go look at it. Was it any good? You go. well, they they sat in for the roots. I, di- I didn't see it either. I just knew about it. The band was really good. The band was good for a long time. Yeah. Um, Uh, Did you like Paul Schaefer better
2: on late night or late show? Um, I'm an old NBC. I used to watch Letterman every night in college because it came on at 1230. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I could, yeah, there's some great episodes. And I was a huge fan. That's really disappointing because he got so political late in his career that, you know, it was always about politics. And I'm like, you know, I just I'm looking for something in my life that's not about politics. And he used to just be funny. Um, back in the days at NBC,
1: that was great. And I don't really know the answer to this question. Uh, he had to change the name of the band when they moved over to CBS, and it became the CBS Orchestra. Because NBC owned the rights to the world's most dangerous But was the band. world's most dangerous band the same thing as the CBS Orchestra, orchestra just different names? Um, I
2: think it was, you know, he had various musicians over the years. I think he had one or two guys that stayed with him all 30 years with Letterman, but um, they changed a little bit.
1: That was, uh, you know, that, that, that theme, the way they played it on NBC. Uh, I know that we have other things to talk about here, but just because... You just because you can, and this is what you do. You have this on your magic laptop. Oh, well, now I can't find it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, well, I have, the, I have the one from CBS, but that's not the one we... No, here it is, right here. Okay, It's a slow build. Here we go. Yeah, you got to lay back, and Johnny Carson is done.
4: Yeah, I love this. Live from New York. <laughs>
2: It's The Late Show with David Letterman. Tonight's guest, Chevy Chase, Cher, and Tom Jones. <laughs> no, that's pretty darn. That's, that's really
1: good. That's pretty good. <laughs> it was... Viewer Mail Night. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, welcome Mick Mulvaney to the studio. Uh, we'll have, we'll have uh, Paul Schaefer rejoins all morning long here. I have to stop drinking coffee before the show.
3: I'm so glad that you do, though, because uh, it's fantastic.
1: Well, I stopped at the QT looking for my buzz bombs,
2: and they were out, so.
1: Well, you know why they were out. John Moore bought them all. Bom- Moore, John Moore, I can't even say it's bomb jork. <laughs> he he bought that. them all. Uh, the big story this morning was actually developing as, uh, as we were coming on the air here. It was this.
5: Now, no, it was, uh, it was one year ago this week that we spoke on the telephone, Mr. President. It was very late at night in Washington, very early in the morning here in Kiev. Russian planes were in the air and tanks were rolling across your border. You told me that you could hear the explosions in the background. I'll never forget that. And the world was about to change. I remember it vividly, because I asked you I asked you next, I asked you, what is there, Mr. President? What can I do for you? How can I be of help? And I don't know if you remember what you said to me, but you said, and I quote, gather the leaders of the world, ask them to support Ukraine.
1: So he's reminiscing about uh, what happened a year ago on Friday, the one-year anniversary of the Uh, Russian-Ukrainian conflict, and he's doing that from Kyiv. That was a surprise detour today, earlier today. President Biden, uh, on his way, on his overseas trip, uh, he takes a 10-hour train ride and uh, meets with Vladimir Zelensky in the state, the capital of Kyiv, in the Capitol building there. And uh, what you just heard was them speaking with each other at a news conference uh, upon appearing uh, jointly. So to start off, uh, we just want to know what you think about this. Um,
2: I... I Read about it or saw it this morning when I got up, and a couple things came to mind. First of all, the most interesting thing to me about it, and I'm thinking logistically now. we we'll talk about the politics of it in a second. By the way, I thought politically it's a really, really good move for him. We could talk about what he just said and why it's important. But the, but the logistics of it, how difficult it is to do what they did and how much planning must have gone into it. And the most interesting thing to me was they went by train. Mm -hmm. And did not go by plane. That's that's how dangerous it is there right now, that even if it was Air Force One, they they did not feel comfortable taking the president through the air. Now, the way the world, where the geography shapes up is that you can fly from Poland to Kiev, which I guess it's Kiev now. I don't remember when we changed the name, but I still call it Kiev. Um, Without flying, you know, you can go around Slovakia and Hungary and so forth. But that's still dangerous really dangerous so dangerous they made a decision to take him by train for 10 hours which is a really really hard thing to pull off in secrecy as well right because of all the people who see you and you know there's there's a train right and there's something you can see take off an airplane you don't see it after it leaves but anyway um the logistics of pulling that off um were impressive um i remember when we went to excuse me we went to uh afghanistan on thanksgiving and it was so tightly nailed down that all I told my wife was that I couldn't come home for Thanksgiving right away. And the next thing she knows, she saw me on television, in in Afghanistan, when she was at the at the at my in-laws' house for Thanksgiving dinner. So the secrecy on this thing is extraordinarily tight. The logistics are extraordinarily difficult, and it's a. Extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, yes, we were going into Afghanistan, and if somebody could have taken a pot shot at Air Force One, they would have. But this is the Russians, you know, right. that, that close to where, where he was. So, uh, again, it's uh, c- congratulations to the folks at the White House Military Office, who are the folks who pulled this off, the best at the world at it. This is the team, by the way. We've told the story many times about getting Trump to the, um, the DMZ on 18 hours' notice, which you simply cannot do. Um, I have no idea how long it took to do this, but it was extraordinarily complex.
1: And uh, President Zelensky uh, calling the trip, the decision by Biden, historic, timely and brave. We will talk about the logistics. We'll talk about politics. uh, A lot to digest out of this that happened uh, just hours ago. President Biden making a surprise appearance uh, on on the soil in in Kiev, which a year ago we weren't sure would even be here uh, a year later.
5: From New York. Where the best things in life used to be free, it's Late Night with David Letterman. Tonight, Tom Selleck and comedian Gilbert Gottfried. Yep. Also, viewer mail. There and you go. Card and gift shop finds. And now, a man whose recent unexplained dizzy spells have us all wondering is
1: Did you find the guy's name? Yeah, Bill Wendell. Bill Wendell. Bill Wendell Bill was his Mr.
3: name. Mr. Wendell. Was that who the song was about?
1: Uh, by Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. I don't think so, no. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. Uh, so yes, as promised, Paul Schaefer bumpers for the rest of the show until nice. we, until we get to uh, trivia. Ooh, have we got trivia today? We D- do. Did Beth bring some in? I did. Did you tell
2: her what I screwed up last week? I can't even remember what you screwed up last. The week. Burt Backrack thing, because oh, I didn't oh, listen yeah. on Friday.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, did a, we did the show a few days ago about Bacharach. Yes. And, you know, you did things. music trivia without me. Without
3: That's, you. That's exactly right. Music trivia with Bacharach.
1: Uh, Bacharach should have held out for a few more days. Yeah. News Talk 1110, WBT, Bo and Beth and Mick Mulvaney. And I want to talk about, uh, well, let's talk about what's left over here from uh, the, the first segment, which is talk about uh, Zelensky. And Vladimir Zelensky welcomed Joe Biden, President of the United States. You got the two presidents there speaking together in Kyiv earlier this morning. So President uh, Biden makes a makes a surprise detour his during, during his trip to Poland, takes a ten hour uh, train ride, and uh, you know is does a an appearance there with the president of uh, Ukraine uh, just a few days off of the anniversary. And you you said you thought it was a good move. Um, but what about the politics of this? Because now that begins to be discussed.
2: Yeah, the politics are great. It really is. Um, he's going to be attacked a little bit for being so um, uh, tired when he spoke. In fact, one of the things I noticed was the difference in energy levels between the the speech he just gave in in Kiev and the State of the Union the other night. Mm. Uh, granted, he's 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 eighty years old, and that, like I said, this is a tiring. This is a this is tough for for folks to go overseas, even if they're you know not eighty years old. So he's going to. He's going to be criticized, not criticized, but analyzed very carefully for his his, his misstatements and so forth. But put that aside for a second, because I don't think that matters in the general scheme of things. It's a really solid message, which is to the extent anybody was wondering whether or not we were committed. Here I am. And nothing speaks louder than actually showing up. What Mark Twain said, 80 percent of success in life is just showing up or Mm -hmm. somebody said that. Um, And the number one question I get, because I spent a lot of time in Europe for work, the number one question I get, especially from British politicians, but also from folks in continental Europe, is, are the Americans really committed to Ukraine? And my answer is always, always, yes, are you? And that's when the discussion sort of breaks down, because I'm not convinced that the Europeans, the continental Europeans, take the British outside for a second and take the Poles aside, because they are absolutely committed. I don't believe the rest of Europe is committed yet. Um, France is really, really good at making commitments and then not delivering um, but put all of that aside to the issue of whether or not the Americans are committed to Ukraine, which is the one thing the Russians are really looking at. Yes, this sends a really, really strong message. Nothing that you couldn't do better than they did. You, you, you can't send a stronger message than actually showing up in Kiev under the threat of, of aerial bombardment. I understand there were some air sirens mm-hmm. that went off during one of the presentations and so forth. That's real. And that's going to that's going to resonate in Moscow. That's a big deal. So from a political standpoint, this is a, a complete success. And I congratulate them for not only pulling it off logistically, but delivering a really, really good message.
3: Do we see this going? You know, some historians are looking at this and they see the, this war as uh, something that's similar to how World War Two began. Do you see this moving out of, of, of Ukraine into Poland, into other areas and then becoming because now we have. China, who is backing Russia, they're saying that they are not backing them with arms, but uh, there's a, there a lot of contradictory information about that being true. Does this become more of a global battle um, because of the, the the politics of the countries who are behind the other countries? It becomes kind of this uh, uh, tit versus tat.
2: Yeah, I got asked that question once, I think right when the war started, and my, I, I, I answered the question with a question, which is, is Putin a rational actor? And the person said, "Why does that make a difference?" I said, "Well, look, if there's a if, the, if Putin is a rational actor, then I can sort of lay out why I think the answer to your question is no." no. Okay? If he's an irrational actor, then you'd never can tell and anything is possible. The example I give that the sort of the analogy I give is if you ask me what my wife is 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 making for dinner, and I know that she's a rational actor. I can say, well, you know, I can think to myself, well, she made this last week. I know what's in the fridge. I know what she grocery shop for. So I can give you a pretty good guess as to the three things we she might make. It could be chicken cacciatore or whatever. If she's an irrational actor, she might, you know, deep fry the cat right. um, for dinner. And, and that's that's the difference. And I don't mean to make light of it, but that that is the difference. If Putin is really at the end of his life, is he's, he's really as sick as we hear about in the press and so forth? If he's if he's not well in the head, then anything is possible. Yeah. And I don't know how to answer your question. If he's a rational actor, then I got to say the answer is probably no, because he recognizes the fact that it's a it's a no-win situation for 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 Russia. That's where I think there was a difference. Um, people say anyway. I, I I just don't I I don't know how to answer your question.
3: It's nerve wracking, I guess, because it seems that he becomes more and more of an irrational actor as the days go on. If you believe the stories, like you just said about his health, and, and that's what that's what
2: worries me. Yeah, is that he does something that everybody looks at and said, no, no, why would anybody do that? Makes absolutely no sense. But if you're dealing with somebody who isn't sensible, then and everything's on the
0: life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Good morning, BT. My name is Jimmy Carter and I'm running for president.
2: I can't listen to it without thinking of Dan Aykroyd. I just can't.
1: His impersonation, the voice was so good. Jimmy Carter, President of the United States, the 39th from 1977 to 1981, has now been placed in hospice care. Uh, this according to the family he's 98 years old and before I get Mick Mulvaney's thoughts
4: on uh, on Carter uh, let's get uh, an update let's go back to Fox's Jonathan Sari the Carter Center says the former president is moving to home hospice care with the full support of his medical staff and his family the family asking the public for privacy but also thanking the public for the outpouring of support and concern Carter's grandson Jason a former Georgia state senator tweeted Saturday I saw both of my grand Parents yesterday. They are at peace, and as always, their home is full of love. President Biden tweeted to Jimmy and Rosalind Carter We admire you for the strength and humility you have shown in difficult times. May you continue your journey with grace and dignity, and God grant you peace. Back in 2015, Mr. Carter underwent treatment for melanoma that had spread to his liver and brain. A devout Christian, Carter continued to teach Sunday school and explained to congregants and visitors at the time that he was perfectly at ease with whatever was to come. But he responded well to treatment he was receiving back then and was able to actually resume his active schedule that included international travel, the work on Habitat for Humanity building projects. He also continued to work through his Atlanta-based international nonprofit, the Carter Center, to provide election monitoring services around the world and promote global health initiatives. One of the center's proudest accomplishments is helping to reduce the number of Guinea workers infections in developing countries in the mid 1980s about three and a half million people were being infected with the guinea worm parasite by 2021 that number had been reduced to just 14 for that entire year so uh, the former president uh, is 98 years
1: old and uh, he is at home in Plains Georgia in hospice care now
2: uh, you know I'm really torn because I mean I, I, I just I have nothing but respect for everybody in public sp- service, at least most people, including him. He's a He was, you know, President of the United States. Um, but, I mean, come on. Do we remember the guinea worm? I mean, that, seriously, that that's what we're talking about now in, in his last days? I just, I, 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 listen, I'm not going to speak, I won't speak ill of the dead since he's still alive. I will remind the people that he, he disputed the outcome of the 2000 election, disputed the outcome of the 2004 uh, four election, disputed the outcome of the 2016 election. He's one of the original election deniers. He was beaten in the largest uh... electoral college defeat in history uh, probably one of the worst probably the worst president of of my lifetime um, so you hate to do it because he's ninety six years old and you want to you want to be nice and i want to be nice but i mean let's not lose let's not let's not deify people um, you know late in life who, who anyway, I, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this one.
3: He was a Nobel Peace Prize winner and did so was Barack lot Obama
2: of, that doesn't mean anything. He
3: did a lot of great work with Habitat for Humanity. I, I, and, I and I respect that I
2: respect that but I mean come on now let's I mean the guinea worm that's what we're, that's what he's going to be remembered for.
1: Well, that was the that was what uh, Jonathan Sarri chose to include in his report right there. I would say that uh, Jimmy Carter is going to go down uh, to be remembered. I'm curious as to whether you agree with this or not. Is he going to be uh, far more remembered for what he did after he left the presidency than what he did during it or before?
2: Now, that's 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 a really good question. That's a very um, I hope so. I mean, look, I hope that we all make mistakes in public service. You know, nobody's perfect, right? You all do things that are wrong. I was in public service for, what, 10 or 12 years, something like that. Uh, and I hope I'm remembered for the good stuff and not for the bad stuff. But let's not take somebody who was, I mean, universally sort of perceived by the voting public. I mean, it's not like Fox News is making this one up. Or we'll talk about that in a second. Um, as being a really, really bad president. I mean, historically high inflation. We had the... the uh, the uh, Iranian uh, hostages situation. but We had all sorts of, of difficulties. There's a reason he lost as stunningly as he did. He wasn't very good at the job of being president. Again, that doesn't mean I don't respect him as a person and as a public servant. But I'm not going to sit here and say that you know Jimmy Carter. Boy, what a, what a, what a great president he was in his last days when he wasn't when he was alive. And he's still alive, I guess. But when it wasn't when he was in office.
3: I think the thing that people will remember— I'm sorry. I,
2: I, know, I know this is really—this is this is killing bath because she wants to be so nice.
3: I know. <laughs> it's my general nature. Well, I think the thing about him that people love post his presidency was his um, extreme faith and the way that he utilized his faith in order to— um, Act in the world. And it was why I think that the, the image that I will always have in my head uh, was from just a few years ago when he had the, the, the terrible fall that was kind of a result of the things that he was going through with the, the brain cancer and, um, you know, the different surgeries that he had had. And he fell and was bruised and beaten looking, but still showed up, you know, at 95 years old to build a home for, um, you know, the less fortunate folks who are needing those habitat for humanity homes and has spent time building more than 100,000 homes.
2: A, a great point. Let's focus on all the good that he did for his charities, his his faith, his marriage. I think he was married for like seventy-five years the or something longest, like that.
3: Longest living marriage of a presidency. That, that's yeah. fantastic.
2: Let's talk about that. Let's not try and make it look like his presidency was really good when we all know that it wasn't.
1: I don't think. I don't th- even Democrats. I don't think there's a push to do that. I think uh, even Democrats would say he was a very ineffective president. And like you say, he only served one term, and he got. Uh, If not for Walter Mondale, a few years later, that landslide for President Reagan, uh, this would be the the biggest of all time, right? Now, um, I would say, I would venture to say that he has set the template for how a president can be effective and influential in the world post-presidency. I mean, he founded Habitat for Humanity, and to the to the reporter's point a moment ago, uh, he was using an example. And I'm not I'm not I'm not yeah. trying to defend him. I'm just saying the reason he brings up that particular thing is it gives you a, a window into the, the the things that his foundation has been doing in other countries. So I think he's probably one of the most respected. Uh, ex-presidents ever, current or, or president during president during the time he was in office. Yeah, nobody's going to say that was a, that was a, a standard that was set by him. I don't think anybody would. That's fair. And I respect him. And so it's an excellent point. And By the way,
2: I was wrong about the electoral thing because it wasn't him. It was Mondale. It was Mondale, uh, it was yeah, Mondale yeah, not Carter. You're absolutely right. So no, I, I think it's a respectable, a, a decent human being. We should be celebrating that.
1: Yes. And I think most people that's that's where this is coming from.
3: Yeah, I think that's what's happening now is that the, the, the beautiful thing about him going into a hospice is that he's now getting a chance to see his own how people felt about him. He's being memorialized before he passes. So he gets to kind of see his legacy before his legacy ends.
1: And I don't think George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton would have become as close as they did had not there been the example of Carter. And the things that he did post-presidency, I think he sort of Set ushered in this era of what do you do after you leave the White House? Uh, how do you uh, affect change in the world? And, you know, I may I, that may be not an opinion shared by a whole lot of people. That's the way I, I have seen post-Carter, post—you know, obviously Reagan was a little bit different. but
3: Well, and he was president when you and I were born.
1: Correct. Yeah. And, and Reagan, obviously, when he left office, uh, was starting to—even when he was in office, was suffering from the early— Uh, onset of dementia. WBT. Final stretch on a Monday. Thanks to our friend Paul Schaefer, and in this case, the CBS Orchestra, Bo and Beth and Mick Mulvaney.
3: I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I I wanted someone's perspective on this because we haven't talked about this um, today, but it was a big story over the weekend. And it really boils down to the information that we receive and how it gets to us. Now, we know that um, Dominion uh, sued Fox for $1.6 billion, arguing that Fox News Channel and its network made false claims against the voting machines rigging the 2020 election. We also know, I mean, the big story several weeks ago was the Hunter Biden laptop story and how that was suppressed from um, readers on Twitter and from you know different news outlets. And now we've seen the transcripts from Dominion in this defamation lawsuit that came out over the weekend. And I was reading an article in The Atlantic, and I'm just going to read the title of the article to you. Why Fox News lied to its viewers. The network's hosts and leaders knew that Trump had lost the election but feared the consequences of telling their audience the truth. So what does this say about the information that's getting to us and who we as people can trust when it comes to the the 2020 election? The Hunter Biden laptop story. We're not getting the information that these outlets know.
2: What you need to realize, I think, is that most of media today that pretends to be news, including the Atlantic that you're reading from right there, right the notoriously uh, anti-right the Atlantic is is that there's a little bit of news with mostly entertainment if you're watching fox if you're watching msnbc if you're reading the atlantic you're reading vanity fair it's designed to entertain you and get you to watch so that you can buy advertising it's not designed to be news so it doesn't surprise me that the talking heads in more than one occasion would be saying one thing on the air that they just don't believe because that's not the job is not to be there to inter, to inform you it is to entertain you
3: do we need to take news out of the this the 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 title then what it is it lot of the news
2: channel. the fox entertainment channel is is you know is it is it NBC news or NBC entertainment right, right. it's just you people need you need to realize that there's, a, there's an agenda to all these folks. They're, they don't get paid to inform you. They get paid to entertain you. And you need to take everything you read and watch with a grain of salt.
3: Is there any responsibility, though, in, in how the, the population was thinking or is still, in, in a lot of cases, thinking about the 2020 election?
2: Well, we're going to find out, right, because the responsibility then would, would end up in the court system as to whether or not you were actually lying and defaming people and we'll find out if Fox was, was guilty of that. But certainly those... Texts, those transcripts that you're reading about, which I have read as well, outside of the Atlantic, are are very damning. And they they don't make Fox look very good when it comes to actually informing people about what's happening.
1: All right. We have come to that point of the week. It's my favorite part of the week. And Chuck Boozer's as well, who's texting me. Chuck Boozer, Mick Mulvaney, hopefully a few more of you out there. Uh, We're going to wrap up with Mick Mulvaney with Monday Music. Mulvaney, actually it's Monday. Mulvaney music trivia. Now, That's if it's Burt Backrack again, that would be really good. <laughs> no, it is not Burt. Okay, you ready for number one? I got six songs here. Oh, Wow, okay. six songs. Uh, let's see, one, two, three. Yep. Um, what are they? What's the What's the tie that binds through all six of these songs? Okay, and it's not even the specific song. Not the specific It's the song. artist. Okay, so we have yeah. a Beatles tune. Yeah, I got a Beatles tune. I, I thought that first one might stump you a little bit.
3: It sounds like the beginning of Sesame Street. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I can name I think... that tune in one note. I know. All right, let's go to the next one
0: here. See,
2: she can sing, so she can sing it. Sometimes.
3: Sometimes. <laughs>
2: Alright, we have the Bee Gees. I think it's the B. I don't think it's Andy. I think it's the Bee Gees themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Michael Jackson. And Billy Jean. Mm-hmm. So Again, is that 84? Artist
1: not song. Artist not song. Okay. Right. Artist not song. The next one here is. Yeah, still Michael Jackson. Let's go to the next one here, which is
3: Mariah.
2: I think I got it, Bo I'm not, Thompson. I'm not done yet. I, th- I don't think I have to have it. Uh, I think I got it. You keep going. You want me to keep going? I want you to keep going. What's the last two,
1: one? Two. Uh,
2: sure. I think I got you. For the first time ever, I think I got you.
1: I, I still got one more I to go. I know you do, because you got to do one for the 2020s. Or the, um... <laughs> do I even want to keep going now? <laughs> Rihanna. Shine bright like a <laughs> diamond.
2: Mm.
4: Now that screws me up.
2: Really? Yeah. See, always got a state of the end. Cause I lost track.
4: I'm like no, I got it. Tell it's, me what the, you
2: got. it's the most successful artist from the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, 2000s, and 2010s. By successful, what do you mean? Uh, greatest selling. Most. How let's do this? Most top forty hits. Be more specific
1: oh come on the, the longest <laughs> most, running n- most number one hit most number most one hit each hits. decade in the 60s <laughs> the Beatles with 18 in the 70s the Bee Gees with nine Michael Jackson in the 80s with nine Mariah Carey in the 90s with 14 Usher with seven and the whatever we call them the O.O.S. Aughts. The aughts. The aughts. And then do we call it the, the teens? The, the tens. tens. The 2010s. The 2010s. Teens. Rihanna had nine. You could have gone the other way to the 50s, and it would have been who? I don't know. I didn't look that far.
2: Elvis. Where's it Elvis? Sure. So there you go. Well done. Elvis had a tie with the Beatles for like 30 years as to the most number one <gasps> hits. And it was broken when they redid... Little less conversation for the uh, World Cup ad back in 2000, whatever, whatever, and it broke the it tie. Broke Elvis it. now, yeah. I don't know if a, if a modern artist has broken it since then because I don't keep track of Taylor Swift. Did or stuff.
3: Elvis come back and break it again when the movie, the Baz Luhrmann movie, came out? Are they still fighting it out? That'd be kind of cool. I
2: don't know. I don't know if there was a number one hit out of that. Uh, out I of that film, yeah, I don't yeah. think there was either. There was a number one hit out of uh, out of the Queen movie because I think Bohemian Rhapsody went back to. It number went one. back
3: to number I, one. I, I.
2: I got one. That's the first one I think I've ever gotten. I've gotten close a couple of times.
5: I feel so like you, get got, them you got you got
2: rack last week, and I got so, this one. So what do we do now? I have. Well, it's Beth. Next it's my week. turn. Show
3: oh, tunes. Show tunes, guys.
1: <laughs> Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Jazz be, hands. You need to be here at the beginning of the show because because we start the show every day with the song she wakes up to in her head. Yeah, but that would require me to be here at like four o'clock in the morning. I don't know, but there's there's a thing called tape. I could play it back
2: for you. Yeah, we can oh, play it back oh, for you. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. By the way, is it really tape?